This is like, we're just excited to be here with you. We're probably more excited than anyone else is. Um, so, hello from Dwayne. Sorry, I just saw that I've already saw it. Um, so, I'm off screen because I'm going to help these guys answer your questions in a timely manner so we can get to all of our questions. Um, if you don't know who these folks are by chance, um, we have Chris and Autumn. You can wave to everyone. Hello. Hey guys. Um, Hello. I'll let you guess which one's Autumn's and which one is Chris. And then we have Sway and Rachel as well. Hey guys. Hey. Uh, so both of their stories you can find on the podcast, uh, obviously. So if you haven't had a chance to check those out, um, they are awesome. And uh, so in the in the Cliff Note version, uh, we'll just say both of you have very big stories. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. fair. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. For sure. So just a lot of experience from church discipline to being separated out of the house for a long time to several disclosures years to now a lot of healing a lot of sobriety and also still totally working on some stuff right for sure <laughs> always um always. so for everyone participating uh we're sorry i didn't know zoom kind of forces us to take your email so we definitely want to still leave it anonymous so um we don't have your email we didn't trap it somewhere i don't know why zoom asks us for it um, but you'll notice when you go to the Q&A, um, you can choose to submit your question anonymously. So you do not have to tie your name to it and no one else is going to see it. So we want to leave it anonymous. So um, anything else that needs to be said from that, you can put it in the chat, but we might lose it. So if you have a question, please put it in the Q&A, not in the chat. And For we sure. pledge our confidentiality to you guys. Like we sure. won't. Yep. We don't know who you are, and we honor you and your stories and your questions, and we'll do the best we can. Yep. And we are excited you're here. Yeah, and we're guys. here. Yeah, we're super pumped about this. Well, Sway, since you're so pumped. Okay, great. Um, so, yeah, we've had, awesome. so we've had questions, um, right, submitted to the yep. website that we do in our podcast. So we have a list of those current questions with us. So we're going to start with a couple of those questions, and then people can kind of ask questions as the juices get flowing. And since Sway is so excited. So pumped. We will let him read the first question. Oh, I'm going to read it. How about I read it and you answer it? All right. Okay. Game. My wife has been very resistant to pursuing recovery for herself. I know she needs this for herself as much as I need it. And I also feel like it would be so good for my recovery if we could do this together. She's made comments that she's frustrated because I'm doing recovery all by myself, but she refuses to go to meetings. In the past, I've hesitated to involve her in my recovery, maybe out of fear and maybe out of control, but I really would like to do this as a team now. We just can't quite seem to fight the, find the right mechanism to start doing this together. How can I battle for my wife's heart and gently lead her towards recovery? That is an awesome question. Um, and I, I say that just because I've been in that same that same exact place, right? I've thought, man, if I could just get Rachel to go to a recovery meeting, or if I could just get Rachel to X, Y, and Z for her recovery, right? Like this whole thing would all of a sudden just flow and it would be so much better. Um, so, what um, what I would say is that, sorry, I know you guys can't see me right now. We're working it out. Give us one second. You guys got it? <laughs> keep going. Okay, I'm going to just keep going, even though you can see Jason's uh, email up there right now. So um, what I would say is, is that 
there is not really a good way. The way I had to work it was I had to say to myself, you know what, I've got to focus on my recovery, uh, what I need to do. And, um, and as I continue to work on my recovery, continue to get some more sobriety and all of those things, um, I don't know, Rachel, how did that make you feel? Better. I will say like for us, so in finding my recovery and stuff, when Sway started his recovery, I was just starting in really deep trauma, right? So they talk about like, he feels so much better because he's lightened his load. He's gotten everything out in the open, but I literally just found out about everything. So it took me a long time to be able to come out of that trauma mode and to actually try seeking recovery. Also like an addict telling me how to fix stuff that he broke really pissed me off. (laughs) So like him telling me how to fix the thing that he broke for myself was not helpful at all. And ultimately, like I just had to, when we finally got to a place where I was comfortable with him being honest with me and I was comfortable with like where he was, and I'm not saying my recovery was dependent on his recovery, but when I finally got to a place where I was comfortable and not feeling like I was living in trauma every single day, that's when I was able to start thinking, okay, maybe now I can start actually working on something because for a long time I could just survive. There was no way to like mentally do anything more than just surviving. So Right. And even 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 now, right, we're several years into our recovery and um I I know I can't push Rachel into any kind of uh any you know, any kind of group or, or anything like that. All I can do is show her that I love her and that I um, continue to um, come after her heart and um, do the things that matter to her. And and then, you know, when she says, yeah, I was thinking about maybe I should reach out to so-and-so. And I'm just like, yeah, I think that would be a great idea. And I just kind of let her do it because I, I look back on my, if you look back on my stuff, right? It's like, if I would have been told hey, you need to start your recovery now before I was found out or before, you know, I was ready. I just, I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts? I, I would just say um, the, probably the best thing would be to go to God with it. Uh, one, like, and that was one thing that I learned is to, to go to God, to talk to him about, God, show me how I can fight for her heart. That is part of my everyday prayers that I still today pray about every single morning because it's so important to me and it's helped me so much in my recovery. And so just being able to, to go to God and say, how can I fight for her heart? Um, sometimes it comes up in the middle of the day where it's like really hard to, to do that. But then I, I'm like, okay, I need to fight for her heart on this part. Um, and then um, just pray for her that she will, that God will guide her to where she will be able to be like, okay, you know what? I think I need to start going to this or, um, you know, paying attention more to the, to his recovery or whatever the case may be. I I would say that. I just want to say to love her where she's at. Um, that has come up so much for me in our recovery process is to love, um, Chris where he's at in his recovery and he's loved me where I have been. Um, I did not go to a 12-step meeting for many years. I just went to counseling and my ecclesiastical leaders and I had a really good support system. And my therapist asked me several times, do you think you're ready to go to a 12-step meeting? And I'm like, no, that's a bunch of crap. Like, I'm not going to a 12-step meeting. 
And um, he was actually, I was actually called to be a facilitator for a 12-step program, and I had never been to a 12-step meeting. And I thought, well, I better go to one and like see what it's all about. And the mich- the leaders that called us were like, yeah, that might be a good idea. And I had never felt the spirit so strong as I did in that meeting, and I knew I was in the right place. And so it wasn't Chris pushing me. Um, he had gone to 12-step meetings for many years, and he's always like, they're great. I love the support I have there, along with our therapy. Um, but I was just not ready at that time. So I just you know, again, love your wife where she's at. And I love that Chris said, give it to God, let God lead her heart and pray to God that he will lead her heart to the right people and the right places at the right time. Autumn, what you just said reminded me of something that one of my very, in fact, my very first sponsor um, uh, sent me a message one time and I can't remember the exact quote, but it's basically saying that, um, if we don't hold expectations for somebody's for somebody else's where they should be at, that is true love. Uh, loving them unconditionally, regardless of where they're at. Um, and so I think that word is always stuck in my head, right? Is those is having that expectation of Rachel. When I remove those expectations from her, um, it it gives me the space to love her and to have that compassion and that. Um, uh, and that grace for where she's at and, and even for myself. So. And Sway, I think that you should give yourself some grace and not let Rachel bail you out this time and oh. read her second question. Oh, I'm going to read her second question. Okay. All right. <clears throat> this is our second question. Most of the stories and advice is, uh, for married addicts. For those of us that have gone through divorce because of our porn addiction, when dating, when is the right time to talk about it? And what do I say when I'm asked about my divorce on the first date or even before? Can I go first on this? Oh, yep. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ding, ding. Um, and I'm not playing on my phone. I'm getting emails for Gmail. I'm making sure that everybody's getting the new link that, that we had to get. So, um, My answer to this question is, is your story is sacred and who you share it with is sacred. And so if you're on a first date with somebody and you share your story with them, if you feel the need to share that, just know they might not react the way you want them to, but they might react with kindness in their hearts. I have friends that have been divorced um, that have been told the person's story and they've been just fine and continued on. And um, the, the important part is if, if you are going to be dating and in a relationship with somebody, I feel like it's a good way you need to tell them. Like, I don't think it's something that you hide from somebody. I think you need to have a disclosure at some point if you're going to yeah. be in a relationship. But just starting out dating, um, you'll kind of know. And some people are like, oh, I'm, I would never tell anybody anything on a first date until I get to know them, which that's okay, too, as long as you're being honest about your life. See, and I'm really, like, Sway and I were talking about this today, and yeah. we disagreed a lot on this one, because I was like, as soon as you can. Like, you don't have to give your whole story. You yeah. don't have to, like, get all the gritty details. But for me, when I was dating, and I know this is different for everybody, but, like, I don't like to waste my time. So... I need to know like what I'm looking at if I'm looking at for like looking to pursue a relationship 
So like, give me some top level stuff. Let me know what I'm dealing with and let me decide. Right. And then, but I also think like I was talking to Sway about this, a lot of my girlfriends and people, ladies that I know that are single and stuff, um, they know how prevalent an issue this is. They know how big of a problem this is. And I've heard so many comments that like, yeah, I mean, most men deal with a, a problem with porn or something like that. So it's just something we're going to have to deal with. So just know like it's not as secretive as it might have been 10, 15, 20 years ago that like this is something people are dealing with. Like we know it's out there. Like we know it's going to happen to a lot of people. So I say like, like Autumn said, like if you feel a connection, like if you feel like you want to share, don't like go heavy on it, but just be open and honest because being honest from the beginning is going to save you a lot of heartache. I had, I had a buddy of mine that I feel did it really perfect. He, his first dates after his divorce and everything, uh, they're always like, oh, why did you guys get divorced? You know, what's the deal? And, and he's like, you know what? That's really not first date material. Maybe when we're like, you know, three or four dates into it, then, and we're starting to feel a connection, then I think it'd be something that we can talk about. And that's exactly what he did. His third date, he felt like it was, they were really connected. They were getting ready to go on a date to a play. And um, he showed up at the door and, and he's like, you know what? I think I need to tell you about my story. So he told her his story and she's like, you know what? I'm sorry that happened to you. And it was beautiful and they are now married. And they, I mean, it's, they have an awesome relationship and it was perfect because of the way that it worked out, so. I like that, I like that a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. So Chris said he didn't want to read any questions. Don't ask. So I'm not gonna make him. <laughs> so I will read our third question. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Just for a little bit of a background on me, I was first introduced to pornography at the beginning of junior high school and stumbled into masturbation soon after. With family stresses increasing just a few years later and a divorce to follow, I entered high school with a full-blown addiction. So meaning the parents got divorced. So yeah. Right. Um, he's not fast-forwarding his story. So porn and masturbation were the only support I accepted while attempting to handle those difficult times. Now freshly out of college and in recovery for the past two years, I have found a lot of emotional healing from past trauma, but I still struggle on my road to purity. I have found that recovery from pornography and masturbation addiction has been incredibly difficult process for me because it requires healing of the mind, body, and soul. We all agree with you, by the way. Mm -hmm. Could you please touch on ways to best go about healing each, your mind, your body, and your soul with specific emphasis on the soul and finding healing through God? So let's break this up with the four of you. So who wants to take mind? Healing and recovery. I'll take it. I'll take Sway? So recovery for your mind, right? If we break this okay. into mind, our mind, body, and soul. Yeah. Recovery for your mind. Um, so it's actually really hard for me to break this up. Um, but if I'm going to just like hone one area for myself, and it's, it, if I'm just talking about the mind, um, I, I used to. I don't do it as much as I, I would like to now. But meditation was a huge, um, a huge thing for me um, as I started my road down, uh, re down recovery. Um, I was super, super lucky and uh, had an amazing therapist who was like hardcore about um, about uh, meditation. Um, and just a quick shout out to Chap. We love you, Chap. We miss you. Um, so. 
basically he told me a story about how he had this group of guys um, who were in recovery, who were, you know, working their recovery. And he um, had, I think it was eight guys. Five of them were doing daily meditation and yoga, the body. So, um, but uh, those who, and three that weren't doing it daily and the five that were, were seeing continued good recovery. And the three that weren't, we're just still relapsing and having a hard time all the time. So um, that has been a big help for me. Um, there's lots of ways to go about meditation. Even if you, I remember uh, I used to work at Ikea and I they had this little room where a quiet room and I would just go in there and uh, close my eyes and just breathe and just focus on my breathing in and out and in and out. And that really helped me clear my mind daily and, um, and just kind of empty it. There's, if you, a lot of us know John Eldridge. If you don't, you need to find out about John, John Eldridge right now. You need to know like <laughs> today, like yesterday, like last week. So um, uh, he just came out with a book and an app called Pause. And in the awesome. app, it's so mm-hmm. good. And all it does, it's just a one minute. It starts at a one minute, one minute, three minute, five minute, 10 minutes. Um, and it kind of lets you graduate, but basically it's, it's kind of like a little meditation and a prayer, right? So it's just quiet music. He says a prayer. You kind of follow along in your head with the prayer and just doing that kind of clears your mind. Um, and what I will say for the beginning meditator, it is not about, um, being able to clear the mind completely. It's about being able to recognize a thought that comes into your mind, appreciating it for what it's for, what it's trying to tell you. And then letting it go. And giving that to God. Yeah. Because he yeah. talks about that, surrendering it to, to God. And it's, it's awesome. So if you guys haven't downloaded that app yet, you, you need to go download that, that app because it's Absolutely. so good. Okay, Chris, you're talking body. Body. Healing for the body. Body. it does affect you physically. He's yes. the body guy. Yes. He's the guy to ask. <laughs> <laughs> He's the... <laughs> You are. You lost like a whole bunch of weight, man. It's awesome. Down fifty. Yeah, so good. So, um, so body for me, like I go to the gym every day. It's it's, and I I go running. I open the trails, and then I go hiking like two to four times a week. And it's just it does something to my body. Like it really does. Uh, And when I first started working out, it's called endorphins. It sounds awful. Endorphins. (laughs) And it. It just, there's nothing like it, especially when I go hiking in the morning and I, I'm out there in God's beauty and seeing how amazing it is and I'm getting my body going. It's I'm up in the morning. It's really early. We are, we're hitting the trail at like 6 or 6.30 in the morning and going for a couple hours. And the whole rest of my day is completely changed because of that. One, it's, it allows me to connect to God. And two, it's allowed me to connect with my body and understand what's really going on um, and just just it's invigorating for me um, working out like when the through the whole covid process and everything all the gyms get shut down i'm like freaking out i'm like this is so important to me and so i found a way to still be able to get some weights and still access that and and work out at home because it's so important to me and it's a, so important to my recovery because it's it's part of my self-care that is uh, i it just makes my heart come alive and it helps me feel connected with god it's that hour that i'm working out yeah I feel totally disconnected from everything else, like all my emotions, everything. And it's just me and being able to connect with God and not worry about work and everything. So it's great. Can I make an inner 
quick comment about what he said? Of course. If there's a woman sitting here and they might be triggered by their spouse working out, um, for the first few years of Chris's recovery, I, um, along with my therapist, we agreed that he couldn't go to the gym um, because he acted. He did not act out at the gym, but he was lying about going to the gym and where he was going. So he did other things physically. So if that's a problem in a marriage um, and you need to discuss that aspect, just know that you know you can do other things. Um, yeah. I I might have waited a little bit too long on that. He came to me like very wanting to work out at the gym and I'm like okay and he's done well for many years but just so if that is if the physical aspect if working out at a gym is triggering for your spouse you need to have a conversation about that well and I just want to add like it could also be triggering because like I saw something recently if your husband's working out he's cheating on you right like so if it's not something that he's done normally like it could be really triggering that like he's trying to do something with his body and stuff. So I think it's just having really open communication with each other, like why he's doing it. It's to help his body and not to make himself more attractive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just open conversation, just like with everything else. <laughs> As we sneak the mic closer to Rachel. <laughs> mic sneak. Thanks, Jason. I thought I was loud enough. <laughs> so last part of that, right? Soul. So recovery for your soul. Who's picking that one up? Autumn's ready. It was a big deal for me. Um, I've always had a really... Sorry. Why do I cry? <laughs> Why? Why am I the crier? Why are you apologizing? <laughs> I shouldn't, and I do that too. Um, I have always had a really close connection with God. But I was really, really angry for a time and I felt like I did everything right in my life. So why did God like put this into my family and with me and my husband? And so connecting my soul back to God played a huge part in my recovery process and giving um, God 100% of me and letting him take Chris's addiction uh, on instead of me taking it all on when that happened our healing process just sped up so quickly and um a lot of surrender happened and I feel like surrender happens in my life every day still to this day and I try and connect my soul and my spirit to God every day um one of my favorite quotes is we are spiritual journey, spiritual beings on a human journey, because I think sometimes we forget that we have a spirit. We're so into the physical aspect of our lives that we forget that we are spiritual beings. And so I try to connect my spirit every day somehow. So Sway, give a soul answer, because this is a right single guy. He's working recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So give, give him a, a direct answer, the magic sauce. So, um, I would say for me, the point at which for my soul that it kind of turned over, honestly, you know, we talk about it all the time is, um, wild at heart, like reading that book and, and that, that book really did help me, um, recognize my, my value to God and it helped me 
start the process to gain my validation from God. That's something I'm still working on, right? Like every day is instead of getting validation from Rachel, I get my validation from God. So those are the kind of the things that really help me um, help me find that recovery is building that relationship with Heavenly Father, being able to be like, I'm just walking around. I'm, I'm, you know, at the time I was in a corporate job, walking from my office to somebody else's office and not knowing what to say and just giving it up to him and saying, I don't know what to say here, but I know I've got to say something. Um, I need your help here. And just having that kind of conversational um, uh, talk with God every day. That's awesome. So, and warrior heart. Sorry, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. part of a while, the heart, but warrior it's oh, warrior, warrior heart. heart is just that was everything life changing for me, for my, for my soul. So we're going to go to our, our first live question here. So first live question is, have you guys found connection with others during this time of quarantine? It makes recovery really difficult when we all are, we are all isolated. And we've actually talked about this as a team just for our individual recoveries, how it's affected us. Yeah. So what do you do during the quarantine to help out? I'm calling. I, I call a lot of guys. Uh, He's on the phone a lot lately. <laughs> on the phone a lot. Um, you know, uh, uh, my spot, one of my sponsees and I, we went fishing, just did little social distancing fishing, right? Um, we both drove separately. We both stayed six feet apart. And, uh, and we just went and caught some fish. So um, that's, that's another thing. Um, you know, another big thing for me is I I still hit my 12-step meeting every week, right? I'm, I've got to be there. Um, and connecting with those guys is, is just pivotal. Um, you know, we are, uh, we've all been very careful. We, you can see right now we're not all six feet apart at the moment. But uh, we're, you know, we've all been very careful about how we are, um, interacting and we're, we're only going around, um, those people who we, you know, feel comfortable around and, and things like that. So yeah, that's how we're kind of trying to stay connected. We connect uh, like as a spouse, our connection, I'm sure if you follow us, we do a lot of funny things to try, try and stay connected, even with our family. Um, we do stupid, fun things that help us love each other um and especially i know some of our support people are our family members and reaching out to them through like facetime um, i have two immunocompromised members in my family that i'm really really close to and so i've only seen my mom twice in the last two months it's been hard and so just facetiming um I send my mom little notes. I love you. I'm thinking of you today. We talk a lot. Um, like my support people that have helped me in my recovery, I check in. It's really important to check in with those people that we're in recovery with too. Yeah. We've done, so my girlfriends and I, we've done some Zoom calls um, and watched like movies together and like just hung out that way or played games together. We have done like parking lot hangouts, like in the backs of our cars, six feet apart and stuff, because being with people is really important to me and it's been really hard, but that's how I've been staying connected with people. 
And I've been going hiking. <laughs> <laughs> and like, really, it's, it's, it's been great because there's not, especially when you go that early in the morning, not very many people are up there and it's a great time to go and just connect um, with people that, that you're with and connect with, with God. And um, I even take, come home, we'll go, I'll go um, hiking or walking with my family or with Autumn. And it's just, we just have a lot of fun with it. And um, we play games together and cards and all sorts of fun stuff. Hey, Chris, just FYI for everyone listening, 10 a.m. is not that early. So did I say 10? 10 a.m. to hike? No, he said six. Oh, six. I said six. Yeah, I was just giving you oh my God. <laughs> Chris totally gets up early and crushes it, by the way. So he goes to bed up, really late and gets up at the crack of dawn and leaves. I'm like, I so don't if you don't do sleep that. either and want to go on a hike, Chris at unashamedandafraid.com. They'll tell you where they're Six headed. feet apart. Six feet good. apart. Let's go again. <laughs> so our next question. So someone submitted. So I've been seeking a lasting sobriety in my recovery journey, but have found only limited success. I've been finding a lot more peace in Christ. Christ in the ever-increasing knowledge and understanding that he loves me with the power of infinity and that his love never stops or diminishes. Kind of what you were saying, Sway, right, with the soul. Um, even when I screw up on things, I've learned that I don't need to earn God's love. The way I felt I had to from virtually every other source throughout my life. That said, I'm still thirsting for a I'm still thirsting for a more meaningful life without the ongoing distortion thoughts that come with addiction. My biggest hurdle is time, trying to make the time to do the work, any and all of it. I suffer from severe ADD uh, and, and many traumatic brain injuries between seven to 10 total. And it's hard when I can't seem to finish even simple tasks, things that might take another person 30 minutes, but take hours for me. And I get totally sidetracked and then discouraged not even wanting to begin again. To say the least, my time management skills are horrible. I'm not trying to make excuses, but I really do want to improve. My heart is in this, but it seems that week after week, month after month, I'm just scrambling through the day, and then it's time to fall into bed. Getting too little sleep night after night, and then suddenly I realize it's been another year, and I'm still stuck in the cycle of relapse and not feeling any closer to completing my main goals, especially with regards to addiction recovery. Everyone else in our lives has been on hold, as this is our number one priority. I've listened to previous episodes many times, thank you by the way, and I understand that my length of sobriety does not define me and that my journey is about progress, not perfection. But it's been years now and I've been very slow to get the work done that I've set out to do. I began working the 12 steps for the first time about five years ago, and had, but haven't even finished them. I began working on my full disclosure with my wife and the help of a therapist about the same time and it has still not been completed. But I can't even bring to pass just the few hours I need cumulatively or all in one shot to get these assignments done, how can I expect to improve? In group, they say, and this is a 12-step quote that he has here, it works when I work it, so work it, you're worth it. Well, if I can't, utterly cannot work it, then how will it ever work in my life? I'm pleased with the growth I've seen in my life in recent years and yet feeling sorrow because of the feelings of a perpetual state of stagnation. Can I start? <laughs> so got it. So my my favorite quote my favorite quote is on my Facebook, it's on my bio, and it says, if you really want something in life, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. So are you wanting to create recovery? Are you wanting to have this connection with God? 
but you're just not making the time for it, you got to decide, okay, you know what? And, and if, if you have to start off early or start off easy, great. Start off easy going, you know what? Um, this is how I started reading my scripture. So really, this is what I did for myself is, you know what? If I can spend an hour watching Netflix or doing stupid stuff or looking on Facebook or whatever, then I can spend 10 minutes reading my scriptures, or I can just start with reading a, a verse. So I started reading a verse and then I'm like, okay, that was pretty good. So I'd read a couple more and then pretty soon I'm reading the whole chapter and I'm like, wow, this is like amazing. And then I, I'm like connecting with God with the, through the scriptures. And it was really cool because instead of spending just like a few minutes, it was, I would spend, find a way to make 30 minutes work because I'm, I'm letting go of other things so that I can allow God to be in my life. So many times, and I've talked about this before, so many times we forget about, we, we say our prayers real quick and then we move on. We don't ever sit with God. And that's why um, up at the Warrior Heart Bootcamp, there's, we do a vow of silence up there. And it's just time for you to spend with God and go to Him and talk to Him and wait to receive answers. Because sometimes we just don't wait to receive any answers or wait for connection. So we just need to make sure we put the time together so that we can um, connect with God and help us with our recovery. So I guess the part I want to put in there is if I'm the question, if I asked you this question, I would be like, I know I should work harder, I don't but I don't. Whether it's I need to make the planning or I need to make the, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I'm saying. So I, I just feel like ADD or ADHD. Sorry. I'm talking to Steve. Cause he asked the question. <laughs> sorry person who asked the question. Um, ADD, ADHD, bipolar, depression, anxiety, that adds a whole nother layer to addiction. And sometimes there's dual addiction going on. And so if you are working with a therapist, you also need to be talking about ways in recovery or ways to help you that are geared toward how you learn. Um, I know like ADD, some people cannot meditate at all. It's totally complicated for them. So they have to do something physical to be connected. So if you have ADD, which you said you do, I would ask my therapist, hey, I'm having a really hard time concentrating on this. Can you break it down for me into simpler steps? Um, also, people, I, I have a child with ADHD that was diagnosed at, at 17. So he's gone his whole life and we've just now had a diagnosis. And for him, um, learning is a lot different. So when you're learning something, I always go back to how are you doing physically? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking enough water? Are you taking time for yourself to do some, some kind of self-care? Um, are you connecting to God spiritually? Because if you don't, that's where I would start with something simple like, okay, am I, have I drank enough water today? Um, have I said a prayer today? With a simple step and then working with a therapist and saying, hey, I'm having a really hard time with these steps and breaking it down. But I also um, don't think ADD or bipolar is an excuse to act out. Yeah. Um, I know that like when you're in a manic episode, Sometimes acting out is like your go-to, so you need to figure out things that 
work in place of acting out. So you need to talk to your therapist about that as well. So next question here, which I love the honesty. What has been the suckiest part of the recovery process? (laughs) I think that's one all four of you can answer and it probably only take one sentence. (laughs) I'll go. Uh, the suckiest was was the the pain that I caused my wife, and that is but that that's also been a blessing in my recovery too. So it was the suckiest because, um, that, I mean, just the gut wrenching feelings of knowing the pain that I caused her, especially when everything came out and it was just it was just horrible. And then now it's a blessing because now I'm like I will never I never want to forget the pain that I caused my wife, because that is a huge part of my recovery. Because I will play things all the way through and know I don't want to cause this pain anymore. And so the moment that I forget about that pain is when I can slip back into the person that I used to be. And I don't ever want to be in that position anymore. So I make sure that I'm, I'm uh, paying attention to her pain. Because if I, don't, if I don't pay attention to her pain, she will. Ditto. <laughs> That's not an you have to I mean, come up with something different. What yeah. was the suckiest part of your recovery? Not Chris's recovery, I know, yours. I mean, I would say I would say it's along the same lines, right? The pain, right? The pain of it all. Um, you know, we spent two years fully separated. Um, and I mean, I think it was during our episode, Steve was like, I can't believe you guys actually made it out of that. Right? Like, I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, like, I remember I had this hole of an apartment, right? Like, literally, it was, it was in an apartment complex, but it was like half of it was underground, right? And it was like in the part that they haven't renovated yet, that they just stick people. It was like a divorced dad apartment, right? Oh, like, it totally was. Totally was. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I just remember being there at night and just like crying all, you know, like, and. So it wasn't just her pain, it was your pain Yeah, but like, I knew it was all because of stuff that I had done, right? Like, and it was just that pain that it had caused me, that it was causing my kids. Um, You know, like now we get to look back and have these like kind of bittersweet moments where like my kids, our kids will every once in a while say like, do you remember dad's house? Do you remember mom's house? Remember that crappy place that dad lived (laughs) at? Yeah. And they, I mean, and I'm super grateful because they loved it. But I would say that that is for me the heart. That was the hardest point is just all of that pain that was in the family and and working through that. So for me, aside from like the initial pain of being blindsided with something horrible that I had no idea about is the recurring pain. Like we've gotten really far and I've gotten really far in my recovery, but every so often like that gut-wrenching, stomach-dropping, just, like, pain will just come up. And that really blows, like, to not be able to... I don't think that will ever completely go away. And that really sucks. And that that's just trigger, right? Like, some triggers yeah, that will happen. Exactly. It's not just him coming out and saying, hey, I got No, this. it's He's not, like, it's sway disclosing anything. It's not, like, anything. Like, it can be something so innocuous or so silly or, like... I'll be watching a stupid show and there's like a scene of infidelity or something and my stomach will just like, 
and I just go straight back to where I was yeah, three years ago. And it's, yeah, I can't watch them. Like, if I see, like, start it, I'm like, well, that sucks. Can't watch that anymore. <laughs> but, like, it just, knowing that that pain is never going to fully go away and that I have to experience it repeatedly, that just sucks for me, personally. Mine is time. I wanted things done in my time instead of God's time. And for a, a long time, <laughs> I'm going to use time a lot. Um, I just was like, well, I'm in three months, we're going to be here. In six months, we're going to be here. In one year, we're going to be totally recovered. And when I realized it was going to be in God's timing is when the healing took place. But it really sucked for me because I'm a time person. So I want things my way and my, like, I want it now. And I think that's part of what's wrong with um, society right now is that we want it now and we don't want to put the work in to get to where um, we can heal. And so for me, the timing in the beginning was super crappy. Yeah. So our next question um, just popped up. So um, how do each of you navigate telling your children? My kids range from ages of 25 down to 13. They know a tiny bit about dad's addiction, but he is now saying there isn't an there isn't a addiction. Uh, there were actually affairs. We are now separated and, and divorce papers have been filed. How much do I tell the kids and when, if ever, do I tell them anything about what really happened in our marriage, not dad's version of what happened? I'm going to take that one really quick. So this is something I thought a lot about while we were separated because it was something that I was convinced we were getting divorced. So it was something that I thought a lot about that we were going to have to approach. Um, again, like my biggest thing is honesty, but your honesty doesn't have to be hurtful. Um, like, so with our kids, our kids are really young. They're six and four. Um, so we don't talk a lot about the specifics, but like we talk about while we were separated, why did we live apart? Well, because dad did some things that really hurt mom and we had to be apart for a while. Like, that just is what it is. But like with older kids, I would like refrain from calling your husband names or it sounds like it is like a wife, right? Mm -hmm. so okay. Spouse. Spouse. Um, like I would refrain from calling names and like slinging mud and stuff like that. But just be like, well, your dad has an addiction that he didn't want to deal with or he had these affairs or whatever. But just be honest without being hurtful because he's still their dad and he still means a lot to them. I have friends that went through something similar, not quite an addiction, but a really not great dad. And they came to realize later on who their dad was and what he did. But for us, it's really important to be honest with our kids because addiction runs in both of our families. And we just want to face it head on with our kids and make sure that they know this is something that has happened. We've been through it. We're lucky we got through to the other side. It's a battle every single day but here's what we've done and here's what you can do. Like just keeping it open and where it needs to be, which is the key to like all of it, right? Is removing the shame and keeping it open and honest and letting them ask the questions that they have. And if you can, if, you know, if the, if the relationship is, is healthy enough that you guys can do it together, yeah. I think that's, that would be a huge part to be able to do that, do that together. Um, and like our kids are all older. I mean, our kids are right now, 20, 17, and 15. So they were a little bit younger when everything came out. But we just told them, hey, look, I made some really big mistakes and I hurt mom, like, you know, like you were saying, and um, I hurt mom and, and we are working 
together to try to make things happen. And I mean, I know your your divorce papers are final are filed and whatnot, but um, I forgot where else I was going with it. But <laughs> I want to just take yeah, a second and hold space for your pain that you're going through right now. Yeah, because that's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I can't imagine being there. Um, I I will say I'm super super lucky and blessed that Rachel handled things the way that she did. I mean, she could have easily just been so angry and so vindictive and so mean, but, um, and I honestly felt like it's something that helped me in my recovery is that, um, you know, she never kept the kids away from me, right? We did every other day. Um, and, and yeah, to this day, right? Again, we have really young kids, but we're very open about it. It's like, yeah, I made some mistakes and that's why mom and dad had two separate houses for, you know, two years. And, um, uh, so I think that's, that's it. Just the open the honesty and the kindness. I know where I was going with it now. <laughs> I was just helping you out. Thanks. <laughs> so, so with our kids, we, we told our kids and, um, we had to let them know because we were doing a, a, some filming that was going to go worldwide and, and we obviously had to let them know. Um, uh, but we did an age appropriateness. Um, sounds like you got a big range of kids. And so as they got older, then we invited them to come to like firesides and things that so they could really get a lot of details about our story. So all of our kids know all, not all the details, but they know huge parts of our our story. Um, just I mean, they've gone all to the, the meetings that we've spoken at numerous times and and they it's it's been able to allow them to be able to be open with us. If they ever have any issues, they come and talk to us or um, their friends have had issues that we've been open up to them and they're like coming and talking to us and asking us for help and how we can um, help them in some way. And so it's been a blessing to be able to be open and truthful with them about everything that's been happening. And with my addiction and where I'm at, they saw me, they, they saw me get rebaptized into the, the church again. And so they saw everything and we let them know everything. We didn't hide it back or hide from it. So. Well, I think to be honest, because by the way, the, the kids know, Oh, they know. You, so yeah. if you think you're saving them from knowing what's going on, they know. Our daughter was seven when everything first came out, when, when Autumn tried to take her life. And and she knew something was going on. And so we kind of lightly told her a little bit. And then as it went along, we told her more. And if the dad stays in bad behavior, I think the kids will have to eventually find out who their dad is on their own and go on that journey. And it may take some time and cause some pain. I'm sorry. I was just going to say where there's a court document filed. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to even talk about that with your children, Um, but it it would be something that you need to talk with your um, soon-to-be ex-spouse about. If you would like to share with your children, you need to say, can I share this with them? I know that's not very fair to you because that puts you in a hard place, but... It might be that you can't um, tell them at this time. Yeah, so many different situations that could be, right, of how it's going down. But I think the theme from all of you is honesty, age appropriate, find that in there somewhere. So so our next question is, uh, uh, thank you all for your work, courageously bringing this out into the light. And I just want to say to our anonymous question submitter, thank you for being with thanks us. Thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And uh, sorry for our technical difficulties and sending you to such things. So we appreciate everyone having some grace with us. So thank you. Um, next question is, I feel like I can only get a month or two of sobriety at a time. Then I relapse. 
What would you say has made the biggest difference in going from short-term to long-term sobriety? So for the record, so because people may not know, state your, you two state your sobriety here. Yeah. So so last month, so in April, I hit 12 years of sobriety from being with another woman. Uh, January, I've got three sobriety dates. So 12 month or 12 years from being so, sober from being with another woman last last month in April. You just messed that up. <laughs> 12 years, whatever. We do, but we so, can't. 12, 12 years, 12 years. <laughs> no, 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 years. 12 years. 12 years of sobriety from pornography in January of this year as well. Um, and then um, from in December last year, I hit 10 years of sobriety from masturbation. So I've got a little bit of sobriety and really into recovery still. It's still part of my life. So I have a fraction of that sobriety, but... Um, so my my you sobriety. Thank you, Steve. You're Thank right. you. Right. 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 So, um, but I I have been sober from everything: masturbation, pornography, um, affairs, uh, from since January uh, 2018. Um, I mean, I, I usually don't break mine out, but um, affairs are 2016. So, uh, so yeah, that's. That's where I'm at. Can I comment first about this? I know I'm a wife, <laughs> so people are like, what do you have to say about sobriety? So when Chris came out with everything and did his final disclosure to me and started his real recovery to sobriety, he was acting out almost every day for six months. And every day I got to hear about how he had a slip and how he looked at another woman and how he looked at pornography, and oh, I masturbated today. And for six months, I, um, because in therapy, I was like grateful that he told me and I would take the worst truth over a tiny lie at that time. Um, but he would tell me and I'd be like, thanks for telling me. And I'd go out to my car and freak out, like scream, or I'd go slam a bathroom door and punch the freaking wall. I was or sometimes you would do it in front of me and that was okay too. I was Pissed. I like your style. Sorry, I'm, I, I, was, I was pissed off. And so after six months of him coming to me every day, I was like, dude, you're not working your program right. And part of my bottom lines is that I needed to live with somebody who was in active recovery for the rest of his life. Now, slipping every once in a while is a lot different than slipping every month and every week and every couple of months and getting 30 days of sobriety and 60 days of sobriety and then slipping. And so I called him out. I'm like, look, dude, you got to go to your counselor. You got to use your group. You need to use your slip uh, relapse prevention sheet. You're, you need to work your 12 steps more. And he was like, oh, Emma, you got to figure your shit out. Sorry. Don't apologize, Autumn. Swear on live TV. I, I love you all. And if you so know I think, me. I want Chris to kind of answer okay. Autumn said and we're going to you. So, Chris, what I hear her saying is she drew some boundaries that required accountability of you. Right. Was that actually helpful to you? No, absolutely. But I wasn't as accountability partner. Does that no, make no, no, sense? I don't want to be that. No. Yeah. Yeah, creating the boundaries was really good for for us because we were cre we created those boundaries together, so that you know we knew what we needed to do as far as like um, 
if I had a slip with masturbation, um, there was no sex for two weeks. Now, these are our boundaries. You will make your own boundaries and what works best for you guys, but these were our boundaries. And um, so that was just one of one of the boundaries that we had. And so we also had it to where if I had a slip, I had to give her, or I had to tell her within 24 hours. Uh, the longest I ever made it was six hours because I was like, why am I gonna sit here for the next 24 hours just beating myself up inside knowing I've got to come to her and tell her about it anyway. So I made it six hours and I'm like, hey, by the way, I had a slip. So that was really helpful for me. But then also at that same point, I'm like, you know what? I keep hitting, I would go 30 days and I'd go 60 days just like this listener was was saying. And then I kept slipping. I'm like, what is the deal? It wasn't until I started looking at my recovery every single day and waking up in the morning and saying, you know what? Today, today I'm going to be sober. That's it. I don't, I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about 30 days or 60 days or 12 years from now. I'm like worried about today and that's it. So I'm like, you know what? You hear about that and 12 step, they're like, um, they're like, uh, now I forgot because Steve's cut, cutting me off. Take another day. We'll go to Rachel and Sway. That's it. And then you can gather your thoughts. No, I got it. I said it. I'm just going to add a little bit something about spouse and sobriety. For me, I was just talking to one of my gals about this. Once you do get sobriety, please don't expect celebration from your partner. <laughs> like, I, I was just talking to one of my gals and her husband just came up on a year. And she's like, I made him a cake and I feel like shit. Like, it's great. Like, and Chris actually said this on one of our calls, on one of our team calls. And he's like, I'm 12 years sober from being with women. And I want to be like, great. That's what you should have been doing all the time. Like, right. <laughs> it makes me a real big asshole in the recovery world. <laughs> and I understand that. But like, as a spouse, it's like, cool. You're doing the thing that you said you've been doing the whole time that you should have been doing the whole time. So like, I do celebrate Sway's recovery with him. Yeah. Like, I'm so proud of him and it's awesome. And like, he's doing what he needs to do. But it's still really hard for me as a spouse to celebrate that. But so if like, Sway's not getting his that, validation from you, then he right. won't need you to validate. Exactly. As, as you said fact, earlier. Exactly. I think this so, year is two but so years. Get, so get right to his question. So what's right. been the what's been the key for long term sobriety? Because like the rest of us, you stumbled around for a long time. Me? Yeah. Yeah. You? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Um. For me, the I think the key was um, was that is the willingness is I have to be willing every day just to get up like Chris was saying, get up and say, I'm giving this day over to you, God. This is your day. It's not mine. Um, Sway does a bang up job of managing his life. Like I do a real good job of it. And um, so I have had to let that go and I have to do it every day. Um, And without letting go of my desires and what I think is the right thing and saying, you know what, this is your day. What do you need me to do with it? Um, Doing that has been what has, I feel like truly transformed my sobriety. If you were to ask Rachel, I went, probably a year of working recovery before I really um, let myself do that. And it was in those last six months before I got rebaptized that I let myself do that. And and when I did that, all of a sudden things just started to fall into place. 
and, you know, baptism hit and, you know, repentance really happened for me, I felt like. And that's when, that's what I would say. Awesome. Twink. So our next question, Nanab's question is, who is the hottie on the mic that isn't seen? <laughs> so if this is Kayla, <laughs> I'm with you. Um, we'll see you later tonight. If this is not Kayla, I'm in recovery. I'm not open for business. Please do not contact me. Do not subscribe to Unashamed. Do not be afraid. Because I don't need friends like that in my life. Answer. Let's any of you have something you want to say on that one. We love you, Kayla. We miss you. Uh, sure okay, here. and we're moving. We're moving on. We're moving on. Um, so uh, we have a comment, which I'm going to share because I think it's worthy. So a comment. So not a question, but I would like to speak to the last questioner in case they are unsure, referencing the question about d- being divorced and how to tell your children. Okay. Just because you are divorcing does not mean that you aren't handling things with grace, or that you are not, a, or that you are a failure in any way. Um, these panelists are lucky that their stories did not end that way, meaning in divorce. Um, but I'm sure they'd say that they could still find recovering healing, even if their marriage hadn't ended. So the, I'm going to leave the question to you, to Rachel and Autumn. If you got divorced, could you still have a full life the way you have it now? Absolutely. For sure. When I turned Chris over to God, the first thing that came into my mind was I'm, I'm probably going to be divorced in a year. Like that was the first thing that came into my mind. And it was like, God told my heart, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You're okay. You are doing your part on healing your own life. And so I knew I would be okay if I was divorced from Chris and our story didn't end that way. And so I, this person who is divorced has a beautiful story that is worthy and she is so loved. So I'm, <laughs> you go ahead, Rachel. <laughs> I am grateful almost every day that we didn't get divorced. <laughs> Some days are real hard. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I know how blessed we are that it worked out that way and that we didn't get divorced. But I absolutely feel like I, like it would have sucked. It really would have sucked, but I would have been just fine. Like I love Sway and I'm glad that we're together but I would have been just fine if we got divorced. And I really like what that commenter said, I think. Yeah. Just showing some love for the other questioner and some grace for them too. Yeah, totally. Um, and uh, just God has a beautiful life for all of us. Yep. Yes. No matter what the details are in the relationship wise, right? So, Absolutely. Um, so our next question, um, we have been married for two years. We both love each other a lot. However, my wife is not attracted to me and does not want to have sex with me. We have had, we had an early miscarriage after our marriage. Everything seemed fine. Last six months, I had to shift my job, and we were stressed in that period. But for now, everything is fine, and she still doesn't want. She still doesn't want to be physically attracted or have sex with me. What could it be? So I'm going to put a couple of the quick big ones out and let you guys jump in. So. One, she could just have sexual trauma in her history. That makes just sexuality in general really difficult. Mm-hmm. So it could have nothing to do with you. It could have to do. And um, so that that's one. The other one that Autumn brought up is she could be struggling with sexual addiction. We said that earlier. So without some more information, we don't know if our anonymous question submitter is someone who struggles with addiction. Um, 
So kind of how there might be some different scenarios out there. What other scenarios would you ask or, you know, questions could he ask further about himself or about her? That's a big one because it, it could go so many different directions. Yeah, he could That's be like the addict and just hasn't disclosed to us that yeah. he's the addict either. So, so, so with the caveat, there. all that said, whoever this questioner is, we would love for you to reach out to us and, and we'll get with you a little bit more on that. However, we'll take a minute and kind of generalize, ans- generalize the, the answer. So for the, the first thing that came to me when I read this question was, you're looking for sex and not connection. That's the first thing that hit me. And that's a big one for Sway and I. That's been a really big thing for us is finding connection and not just looking for sex with each other. Like, And so that can be a wide range of things, however you want to connect. But finding that actual emotional, intimate connection before putting sex on the table. And she might be feeling like she's lacking that. And for some people, when they don't feel connected, when they don't feel safe, when they don't feel all of those things, they're not interested. They just shut down. So that was my first reaction to that question. I, I would also, um, if you're in a good enough space, I would ask why. Yeah, Like, sure. why are we not having sex? Because a lot of people do the sexual dance where they, like, tiptoe around each other and mm-hmm. they turn over or they won't, like, communicate. So maybe communicating and saying, why are we not having sex? Um, also, how you talked about the connection. Women like emotional connection mm-hmm. and men like physical connection. And Chris has said that when we have a really good emotional connection, our physical connection is phenomenal. Yeah. So. Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) The sex is better that way. That's what he's trying to say. It's fine. (laughs) Not so many words. Yeah, so re- reach out to us on that one. It, yeah. It's hard yes. to have more, more information. information. There yeah, could right. be more. 10 different scenarios. Yeah. So reach right. out to them and let us know. So our next question is, um, hey, guys, thanks for doing this. Thank you for being here with us. Um, sorry if this has been addressed already. It hasn't, or I wouldn't be asking your question. Um, but I, I am working through my recovery. I have almost 15 months of sobriety. I'm struggling awesome. with being patient with my wife's healing and recovery. Do you have any advice, husband and and wife, on how I can better support her in her healing and not shut down myself? So this is similar to the first question we asked, but he's kind of asking me point blank direct, right? So direct questions should get direct answers. (laughs) (laughs) I will answer. I'll answer. I'm like I said before. Um, you need to love her where she's at. Yep. And you need to let God take care of her. And you need to focus on your recovery and pray for miracles. We have the right to pray for the people that we love. Um, we don't have the right to take away their agency. So if she's not ready for recovery yet or to start that process, you can't take away her right to that. Um I commend you for your 15 months of sobriety. That's really awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. And just know that you can go to your support system with your frustrations. So I'm just going to echo what Sway said to the earlier question that was kind of like this. Is just turn it around a little bit. If you were in a place where you weren't ready for recovery and your wife came to you and was like, you need to work on this, you need to work on this, you need to work on this, it wouldn't get you anywhere. So like Autumn said, just love her where she is. Know that she's on a completely different journey than you. She's in a different place and that's okay. It's okay to be in two different places. It's okay to have separate journeys. 
you just have to love each other and work your own journey, even if it's just parallel and not together. A quick resource I'm going to share is if you haven't watched Helping Her Heal by um, Doug Weiss, Weiss, um, contact us. We'll make sure you can find that um, resource. Um, That really opened my eyes into Rachel's pain and, um, and helping helping her heal, right? Because I, because in the end, it's, I couldn't really do anything about it. But recognizing and sitting in that pain with her is one of the greatest things that you can do for her. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Did you have anything, Chris? Yeah, I was going to say, so continue to work on yourself because I think that's obviously going to be so important for you to continue to focus on yourself. And just, like Autumn was saying, just, just go to God with that and let God take over her recovery. You can't control that part of it. Um, so just continue to work on yourself because if, if you continue to work on yourself, she continues to work on herself, hopefully, eventually, you guys are both gonna come back together. Just like Autumn and I did, mm-hmm. we weren't trying to work, when it finally started working together, or working out when she was working on herself, not working on me, I was working on myself, not working on her, and we were working on ourselves, and we finally just came back together. I would say that's one thing what our therapist did with us, right? Like Corey was just, he was all about helping Rachel and where she is at in her journey. And he was all about helping me and where I'm at in my journey. And like, we didn't really talk about coming together for months, months, probably even a year or more. Yeah. So. And and I will just, because I'm sitting back watching all of this, the insight I've had is with all these other questions that the four of you have been asked, how did sobriety happen? How did soul healing happen? How did these other things happen? None of you have yet given an answer that said, because someone else did something, it went better for me. (laughs) Right. So you'll notice, and I just wanted to point that out. Like you guys are being really honest about your experience and what's happened is notice that with all these different questions, it's what Chris did about Chris and it's what Autumn did about Autumn. Mm -hmm. It's what Rachel did about Rachel. And so just an interesting correlation there I thought was worth pointing out. Yeah, absolutely. Sway, you want to read our next question, which is on our one on the second page. All right. Uh, It is my girlfriend has gone to a few non-addict support meetings and says they felt more negative than hopeful. Do you have any suggestions of non-addict support resources? I did. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. I was just saying I read it as the questioner is the addict. Correct. And the girlfriend is not an addict and is looking for support, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. so Go support ahead. for the non-addict. That's what I was mm-hmm. just clarifying. Go ahead, Autumn. I did not go to SNON um, or LDS 12-step or SA Lifeline um, Healing Through Christ, right? Is that the other one? Um, I didn't go to any meetings for many years because I had several friends that had gone to meetings that had had horrible experiences. And so I based oh, well, I'm going to have the experience they did. Um, I would suggest if they are going to go to meeting, if that meeting doesn't fit for you, try a different day. Go to an online meeting. Um, Most of the the 12-step programs that are in effect today have online meetings. So if you're like, I am not going to there, do a phone-in meeting or an online meeting. don't give up. That goes for the guys too. Like if as an addict, if you have a meeting that you're going to and you don't like it, go to a different one. Yep. Find one that works for you. 
So that's yeah, same just thing. you know, don't. And she may not be ready for to go to meetings either. She might no, this isn't for me right now, and that's okay. That's totally okay for her in that space at that time. So for me, I still have yet to find a meeting that I actually like. I've had really negative experiences and I just have not found a lot of what I need there right now. But yeah, I just echo what Autumn said. If it's not a fit for her, it's not a fit for her. And it's okay to shop around until you find what it is, just like with therapy. And you can also get a 12-step book and do the steps on your own. I've yeah. worked the 12 steps many, many times in a meeting. I've also worked the 12 steps alone without being in a meeting, so. Different resources work for different people at different yeah. times, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Things I hear you saying. So for yeah. I, we've had stories of, you know, Mac and Melissa's story that they never went to therapy a day. For right. the two of you, therapy was a big part of your recovery. Yeah, for sure. But Mac and Melissa, if I had them sitting here, just as awesome as these guys you're seeing in front of you. So everyone does a little bit differently. So yeah, you should have to find what works for you. So also I want to put in context, everyone's like, are these guys just going to go all night? Um, we're planning <laughs> on wrapping up at eight 30. Um, but of course, if you have questions in here, we, we will answer them and go after that. So if you have any questions, um, let us know because we're getting towards the end here. So if you have something and you didn't quite have the courage, you should reach out anonymously do it. Um, and so we will go to, Question number five. Am I reading it? Just just because it's long. That's why. (laughs) Yeah, this is so. This is a really good question. This is a really good question. You want to break it out? Yeah. How should we ask ask this question? So let's so uh, let's summarize this way. So um, this question is from a wife um, who has had some infidelity happen and and different things, and so she's worrying about different areas of safety Mm -hmm. and how to create that. She has eight different questions. So she is. We're not addressing all of them. I think this is a good idea. So let's do them one at a time. So yeah. that's that's oh. the that's the story. And yeah. again, I think huge empathy for what she's been through yes. and the difficulty of what's going on. So if we look at her first question, her first question is, as a wife and mom, what steps do you take or you recommend other women take for their own safety? Hold on. I want to read the context, though. Read it. Okay. So it says, um, okay, we were hoping to have Kayla, but we don't have her here. All right. So. The question is, is, I know this podcast is aimed for addicts from addicts, but my question is more dedicated to the wives of addicts, Kayla, Autumn, Rachel, who have, who have been on the show. Of course, it is, it's the hope that our husbands will enter and stay in recovery and his heartbreaking phase uh, and this heartbreaking phase will be done and over. But realistically, I think it's important. Uh, women also prepare themselves and be prepared for an ongoing battle. As a wife, mom, a wife and mom, what steps did you take and do recommend other women take for their own safety? So she starts, so that's kind of the general question. Mm-hmm. She asked a bunch of specific ones. So let's hit each specific yeah. one. So her first one, did Kayla see a physician to check for STDs after each disclosure? She can't be here, but she told us to tell you yes. Yes. <laughs> and I, she did that. I, I still do it. I was checked once but it was after and she also had me go and get checked as well yeah yeah so my first advice would be tell him to go get checked yes oh yeah Yeah. so for me it's ongoing even though sway's been sober and 
I 99% believe that he's been sober. <laughs> um, so I was just recently pregnant and I got tested twice myself. I got him test. I had I, him get tested at the tested. first of the pregnancy and everything. And yep. we still do regular lie detector tests. Like we graduated to every six months, but we still do that because it makes me feel safe. Like yeah, it creates safety. It creates safety and it makes me feel comfortable that what I'm feeling, it validates what I'm feeling in my own safety, right? So like, I feel like Sway's being honest and truthful with me. And those results just validate what I've been feeling. Yeah. So. And so does Sway create that safety for you? Or do you tell Sway what you need to feel safe? Yes. Yes. So if I, like, if I'm having a problem or he can see something's happening, do you want me to go take a test with Jared or the guy that does our lie detector test? Do you want me to go in? Do you want me to go get tested? What would make you feel safe right now? And sometimes my answer is both or neither or, you know. But it is part of our regular process right now that we're just continuing to get tested. Yep. And and uh, real quick on the addict side of things, um, I when I when Rachel first brought up the idea of a, uh, a polygraph, I was like, Pfft. he was pissed. I was way pissed. I was <laughs> like, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. And then um, I finally came around to the idea. My therapist helped me see it this way. Is, it is actually a way for me to create safety for Rachel. So um, I, I'm i actually really happy to do it um, other than the hit to the pocketbook, right? <laughs> like it's not, it's not cheap, but um, to me, that safety is so much more important than anything else. So if I can do that and I, cause I already know what the answers are gonna be, right? Like I already know it. So. Um, I can just be truthful with her or, you know, and, and all of that just goes into creating that safety. So, so what do you do in a scenario where you say husband, go get tested or take a lie detector test. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. Get out of my house. It depends on what your bottom line that, is. That's your boundary yeah. that you yeah, have to it's decide your boundary for yourself. Your bottom line. Like if you need to, if that is creating safety for you, like we we're almost to the point of a lie detector test. And I knew there was something Chris was holding back. Like, I just knew it in my yeah. heart. And as soon as I heard what he had to tell me, I was like, that is the truth that you That's need. And for. the physical, like his physical light came back to him. And that was the validation that I needed. So I've never moved forward with a lie detector test. Um, so I just think it depends on what that couple or the wife would like as a boundary. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it is. What are your own boundaries and what do you need? So for me, I, I do need that. And that might change a year down the road, five years down the road. But for me right now, I need those tests and they validate that I'm feeling safe. And like, you're not, cause for six years, I felt like nothing was going on. I was clearly way wrong on that. So I just need that validation to know that like what I am feeling is real. So for me, if Sway told me no to one of those, I'd ask him to leave. Now, granted, there, she still she was talking about the STD test, yeah. right? But we but address whatever, we address yes, both yes, of them. Yeah, yeah it's a test. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. So yeah. if I asked Chris to go, actually, Chris got tested for AIDS twice, mm -hmm. but yeah, I was sure. like, "Okay, now you gotta go." And so he did. Um, he had no quite like, "No, I'm not gonna go do that again." I'm like, "No, you gotta go get tested yeah. for that again." So he did. Yep. Yeah. And just the act of doing that for me, like not even having to follow through, but just be like, all right, when do I need to go? Like, that's a lot to create safety for me. So. Yep. Okay. So yeah, let's do. Um... So, um, so, cause as we're kind of hitting these, so 
we talked about some physical safety, right? Is mm-hmm. create boundaries every need you do, but I'm going to go where I think Autumn's also going to go. So physical safety could mean more than like physical, physical safety, safety in the home. And yeah. I'm not even talking just domestic violence, right? Like obviously yeah. if that's happening, you need to get out yes. and create safety. Thank you. Call the police. Thank you engage. for So yeah. if you think physical abuse is going on, you need to have a third party. You tell them the whole truth mm-hmm. and let the third party determine whether or not it's physical abuse or not. Because I've talked to several people who are like, I'm not in a domestic violence relationship. And then we start talking facts and it hits them that they're like, oh my gosh, I am. Yeah. So, but even separate from that end, just like sleeping in the same bed, approaching sex again, mm-hmm. like protecting your physical safety in that sense. So for me, physical safety um, after full disclosure with Chris was he did not, we didn't separate um out of our home, we separated in our in-house, home. In-house separation. So he had six months. It was actually five months where he slept in a different room. And we worked on physical connection months down the road. Like, I'm all, I don't want you to touch me. I don't want to hold hands. I don't want to hug. I don't want to have any physical contact. And he honored that with me. That created safety for me. Um, creating safety is also disclosing things like if you have a slip, um, our boundary was 24 hours, please share that with me. Um, so that created physical safety for me. And the, um, he would ask, can I hold your hand? Mm-hmm. Can I give you a kiss goodbye? And if she'd say no, she would tell me why. She's like, no, you know what? I'm just not, I'm, I'm still angry right now. And I'm like, okay. So I would honor that. So now she kind of moves down. She says, so how do you safeguard the safety that you have? So you do, you guys have regained some trust in these two guys here. So how do you safeguard that trust and and grow that trust and and keep it? I think that's a really hard one because I think it goes back to, I can't control what he does, right? Like, so we have this trust and we have the safety Like there are things I'm trying to think of things that I could do and I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But like ultimately, if he does something to screw it up, he does something to screw it up. I can't stop him from doing something that might mess it up. Does that make sense? Like, so I don't know. Do you have anything about how you safeguard that? I just aside from keeping your boundaries. I'm pretty firm in my boundaries. Yeah. Like I'm 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 pretty firm in my boundaries, but we created those boundaries in a clinical support system like it wasn't well I'm not going to sleep with you and so or I made it up as we were going that didn't happen it was in a clinical with a counselor hey I think these are the boundaries that I need and so I'm I've been very firm with my boundaries also my boundaries have changed like let's see where we're at in a year and if in a year recovery isn't taking place then I am going to step away from this which he knew yeah. So and we or the other side of that, you used to not let him go to the gym. Seven years later, he can go now to that one, right? Yes. Whatever it is. So this kind of dovetails into her her next question, which is: Let's say his addiction came back. Are you just back at square one again where you were before, or have you created some safeguards that if the addiction was to totally come back up, if Sway is totally lying to you right now, Rachel, or whatever scenario, like? Are you in a place where you'd like, yeah, I have, I have a plan. I would know how to handle that. Yeah, I think so. But it's different than what a lot of people want to hear. And what is that? 
get the hell out of my house. <laughs> like, this is pretty much it. This is the one chance. I can't handle this again. I can't do this again. I won't do it again. So he knows my bottom line is that's not an option for me. If it's something that happens, it happens. But for me, I won't go through it again. And Sway knows that. And we're very clear about that. And I know that's not what everybody wants to hear. But and something we talked about, because when he first started doing his recovery, he was doing it to get back together. Yep. He was doing it so that we would stay together. He wasn't doing it for himself. And I think that's the biggest difference with our recoveries is we've had to get to the place where we're doing them for ourselves, right? So like my, where I am mentally and spiritually is not dependent on where he is and vice versa, where he is in his sobriety is not dependent on me. So if I decided I needed to leave, his sobriety wouldn't crumble because it's not based on me and vice versa. If he decided like, to stop recovery and stuff where I am is not dependent on his sobriety. So her, the last part of her question, which great answer, by the way, Rachel, the last part of her question is what about like financial safety? So one thing we know is, is some people, it's both people are working, both people have finances, but for a lot of people, sometimes if right, if the spouse chooses to be stay at home with kids mm -hmm. and he's controlling all of the money, that can be a concern. So have you done anything to create financial safety or do you have any advice on that? Well, we have been poor folk <laughs> for many years. Money. It's okay. And that's okay. But when we started this process, I, which was 13 years ago, and we were actually, we had, we were very well off. Um, I was like, I would like a certain amount of money set aside um, I, in savings. Um, if there was any, there were no hidden accounts. But if there were, they needed to be brought to the light, like ASAP. Um, I would just sit down and, you know, if you do want a financial safety, like what is that, a safety net, what does that look like, and discuss it. Don't, I'm just, I'm all about no darkness. Agreed. Like bring it out in the light, be honest, be open. So if I want some money, I'm going to be like, hey, this thing for me is I need X amount of dollars in a bank account. So if something happens, me and the kids will be financially okay if that's possible. Mm -hmm. So when we when Great we were boundaries. separated, yeah. I had just started being like I had just got let go from my job. They were downsizing and we took the leap for me to be a stay at home parent. And four months later, all of this crap came out. So I was newly to like not having my own money. And the first step was telling like when we separated I told Sway how much money I was going to need every paycheck to take care of myself and the kids. Luckily, I was able to move in with some family. When we separated, he had to get an apartment. So we worked it out that way. But I will say if there is financial abuse in the home where one spouse is controlling all the money, yeah, you there are legal steps you can take to get an immediate, immediate financial relief option, like a court order to say no no you need to give me x yeah. x amount of assets to take care of our family chris, chris sorry can i just oh, interject yeah, sure. i just thought of something when when we were in the talks of the b the big d word which we talked about divorce it um i was like i'm just letting you know that you're the mo majority responsible party here and you're gonna pay for that mm -hmm. and at first, it was vindictive, like, you're going to do X, Y, Z, and this amount of money, and this and this. And I looked at it from a place later of where am I coming from and, and kind of changed that, which is okay. Mm 
Yeah. So I, cause I was like, well, and in, in Utah, depending on what you're doing, there's set things. Like I've heard of some couples that have been divorced where the wife gets alimony for a hundred dollars for every year that they've been married for X yeah. amount of years. And then depending on the kids and the child support, you know, that's a whole different thing. But setting that up with knowledge is huge. Yes. Like if you if you need to talk to an attorney, there are so many attorneys that will talk to you for free for one session and give you the information you're looking for if you're in a situation that you need to go that route. Fortunately, Sway was able to just deal with it and help me financially so I could be home with the kids still and not go to work. But some people don't. And there are other options you have legally to take care of that. Yeah. And financial abuse can absolutely be real. It's a thing. It is a very so real crazy. Parties, both parties. Yeah, it's a very real thing. Yeah. And, and I think to say if you have a spouse that is unwilling to be transparent with you financially about everything going on, and you go, oh, but facing that means huge problem. What I would tell you is you have a huge problem. Yeah. You're just being in denial just about it. it. <laughs> so go there. So no, that was loaded a lot in that question, but so many good things that we were hit on. So um, our next question that we have here is, I realize that you may not have the time and I already asked a question, but here's another one. You totally can have another one. Um, I, I am so happy for both of you as couples. I'm currently in the middle of a huge pile of denial from my husband. He has done a 180 from the disclosure he gave me a year and a half ago. He now says that there wasn't an addiction. Um, the affairs were just talking, et cetera, et cetera. So he's moved back into denial. So he's kind of backpedaled on his story is what it sounds like. Do either of you men experience this denial to the point that you weren't doing recovery? Or... When it all came out, did you agree to recover immediately? So my, my first answer to this question before then you guys jump into it is, I invite you to listen to all the stories on the podcast because there yeah. is plenty of denial <laughs> with all of us <laughs> addicts. Loaded. And you can see a lot of different forms of how we did it. So it's a little bit different, but how would the two of you answer that question? When, when everything first came out for me, I didn't even know there was anything about like sexual addiction because it was just right in the forefront. Things were just barely coming out about sexual addiction. He's a grandpa in this recovery. <laughs> Not really a grandpa. I'm old <laughs> grandpa yet. No, right? Right? <laughs> no. Only recovery. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it, it just, it was new. And so I didn't know I had an addiction. So I was like, okay, well, yeah, I'm all, I even asked, I asked my counselor once, I'm like, do you think I have an addiction? He goes, I don't know yet. Cause we were just at the very beginning stages. And then turns out I have an addiction. And so we just worked through it. I never went back into denial about, um, no, that's not an addiction. This is, it was just an affair. Well, it was multiple and it continued to go. And it was the drive that continued to go to, um, that drove me to these other women and, and to the pornography and everything. So yeah, it was an addiction. An addiction is, um, the, it's a state where, uh, what did I say? It's a, it's a, spirit, it's a, it's a <laughs> spiritual state where, um, Oh, I forgot what it, what it is. So anyway, short. yeah, it's really good. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, but it's, it's where you, you don't have control. You lose control over your life and, and where it's going. So that's really what happened with me is I just lost control over everything. And yeah, it was an addition. Yeah. Um, so for myself, I would say 
up front, I was in complete denial, right? Like I, um, I, I didn't think I had an addiction. Like I was like, man, I could stop any of this anytime I wanted, right? Like this is no big deal, all of that stuff. Um, and I would say that, um, earlier in my recovery years, like, you know, one and two, there were definitely echoes of that, right. Of that thought, like, is this really like an addiction? Like, I don't, I don't know if this is like a real, you know what I mean? Like, sorry, I'm, I'm messing with my papers too much. So, um, I would just say, you know, I, I definitely dealt with that. And, um, and, you know, ever since then though, to the freedom that, knowing what my issue is, it has been so freeing and like, so eye opening that, uh, ever since then, I, I don't deny that this is an addiction and it's a real issue that I have every day and that I work through it. I just want to say that sucks. That sucks to be where you are right now. I'm sorry. I really am. That just steam and pile. And just allow yourself grace and allow yourself to, continue on with your recovery mm-hmm. no matter what he's doing right and 100%. i know that quote <laughs> came back to addiction is a spiritual state where agency is restricted or lost that is a good quote i'm glad you remembered it that is not for me that's from uh, his friend ben yeah that's really good but i love it it's awesome our heart goes out to you all right that yeah. last question just yeah. because yeah. Although we can't control other people's behavior, the right answer is to focus on ourselves. Other people's behavior still super affects us. Yep. It can be really messy. Um, we've hit our 830 mark. If there are any other questions, send them to us now. Now is the time. <laughs> last call. <laughs> last One call. Last call. One last time, a little Hamilton, if anyone does that. You do not want to hear me sing, by the way. You're doing great. That'll That's get, why he's a rapper. Right? Yeah. That'll get ugly. <laughs> Freestyle rap session after this. Freestyle. Uh, no, we can take time. So if you're thinking, if you got one and you're worried, don't be worried. We're totally going to happy to talk about honestly, it. honestly, if you have that question, some, see? Nice. Love so it. So this one is from my wife, not Jason's okay. wife. And she <laughs> says, yeah, no singing from Steve, please. <laughs> And she knows. Trust me, she knows. Okay, so what I was trying to say is that if uh, if we're, if you if you have a question, somebody else has that question, guaranteed. Um, it's just it's just how it goes. That's the whole reason why we have the Q and A episodes, so that people can ask those questions that are so vulnerable, they're open, and they're they're scary to even ask those questions. And so we answer them through the podcast, so that everybody else can get answers to their questions. You guys can be quiet now. You got to the heart. Someone asked a question. So, Thank you. Moving from head to heart, how do you surrender to God? Ooh. Sounds like some taught ass. That is a, yeah. (laughs) Um, I gotta go. (laughs) It took me 18 months for me to let go of what was in my head and surrender what was in my heart to God. And I can remember just, I know people have heard my story, so I'm, I'm not going to say I'm sorry because I'm not sorry, but kneeling down on my kitchen floor, feeling helpless and alone and so tired.
tired of the life that I had just saying, God, take this from me. I'm surrendering me to you. And I am surrendering Chris to you. Like the answer to me from God was give me Chris, just give me Chris and you give yourself to me. And I promise you, your life will be better. I didn't know what that was going to look like. And for the first little while, surrendering was every five minutes and then hourly and then daily and weekly. And sometimes I still have to surrender. I mean, I think we're, once you get into a surrender mode, you're surrendering, surrendering a lot in your life. Yeah. What's crazy. What's crazy is that what she just said so flows into the addict surrender because that is exactly what I was doing. Like for me, I, I did this numerous times where I'm, I'm on my knees and I'm giving it to God. I'm holding my hands up to God saying, God, please take this from me. Take this temptation from me. And then 30 minutes go away, it goes away, and then it comes right back. And I'm like, why is this not, why is he not taking this from me? He did take it from me for a minute. And then I need to learn that I need to continue to go to him every time that temptation comes up, not just once a day, not just every once in a while. Every time that temptation comes up, I need to go to him and surrender that and, and give it up to him. Like I'm serving it to him on a platter, literally holding my hands up to him and say, God, please take this from me. So for me, um, like, I'm just going to quickly, you're asking about the surrender process and what that looks like. For me, it looks like I first have to recognize, oh, there is something right here, right now that is not serving me. It's not serving my marriage. It's not serving my kids. Um, And just recognizing that in my head first and saying like, okay, something's off. and, and then I take that to Heavenly Father and I say, Heavenly Father, God, what is going on here? Can you help me find this in my heart, in my head, right? Like what's going on? And then, um, and then once I can recognize that and hold space for it, then I say, will you please take this from me? And then I get on a phone call. Um, because, uh, and 90% of the time, my phone calls are a surrender. Uh, 10% of the time, as my sponsor found out this morning, or one, you know, that, that other percent of the time, it's a, it's, I just got to dump it, right? I've got to, I've got to dump on somebody. And, and, um, but I really try and make that very minimal how many times or how often I do that. So, um, but that connection with another, um, another addict, uh, somebody who's been through the pain, who recognizes it and can feel that pain with me and sit in that pain with me. Um, is one way that I connect with God and surrender that to God. So for me, it, yeah, it starts in my mind as well. And I'm, I like control and I like being able to fix things. And that was really hard for me to be able to be like, no, you can't, like, you just got to let go. So like, it comes into my mind and like, I process and I process and I process and like, yeah, this is one I can't take care of. And I just, you know, have a conversation with God and like, okay, I, I can't do this one. I'm recognizing I can't do it. So I'm going to stop worrying about it and just let it go. Right. Like it sounds really simple, but it's a super hard process (laughs) to just let those things go when you think you want to be the one that can fix it or control it. In the words of big daddy, weave, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. Yeah. From the song redeemed, by the way, well worth to listen. Yeah, if you don't listen to that, you miss that. So we are out of questions. So unless someone submits one quickly, 
um, I am going to leave everyone with this quote from Lecrae, of course. I realize that I'm free and I realize that I'm me. And I found out that I'm not alone because there's plenty of people like me. That's right. There's plenty of people like me. All love me despite me. And all unashamed and all unafraid to speak out for what they might see. I say there's plenty of people like me, all outsiders like me, all unashamed and all unafraid to live out what they're supposed to be. And I hope everyone knows that we love and care about you. And if we can help you, we want to. And we appreciate you being here with us tonight. And these four people in front of you are totally imperfect and have normal, regular, Seems rude. messy old lives. <laughs> they do. I know them personally enough to know. I can tell you that. But I can also tell you that they are huge warriors in recovery and that their hearts are changed, and that they are a new creature, as it says in the New Testament. And that is possible for all of us. So thanks, everyone, for Thank joining you. us. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you, you all. We love so you. Much. Love you. Yeah, if we you get you off of this and you go, oh, no, but I have a question and I want to ask it, unashamedandafraid.com, ask anonymous questions. We'll do it in a podcast or another live one of these. Or email so, any one of us. All of our emails are on the website. Instagram, yep, so, Facebook. Yep. Lots of ways to get a hold of us. Yep. Yeah. Become an outsider. Subscribe by email. Um, all these guys, Sway, Chris, me, Jason behind at unashamedunafraid.com. Love to chat with you. And so until we are with you again, we invite you to remain unashamed and have an awesome night. Bye guys. Bye. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks.